0: What's up, fam? How y'all doing? Good. You guys sounded so good this evening. It was so great to sing and worship with you guys. Um, that was wonderful. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Let's be honest. How many of y'all started or ended up finishing a fight at Thanksgiving? This Anybody raise their hands? Confession time. <laughs> y'all taking the humble road? None of y'all started or finished any fights? <sighs> You know, he's the rules, religion and politics. You had one job to offend somebody this holiday. <laughs> Fine. Well, better next, next year, y'all. Um, Pastor Brian here. It's a pleasure to be with y'all. We're going to uh, look into God's Word together. If you would, please, if you've got a Bible, will you go to Romans chapter 9? We're going to finish chapter 9, and we're going to dabble into chapter 10. And as you get there, I will pray for us, okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your Word. Your word is truth. It is is very good for us. Um, Lord, I ask that you would use me this weekend, this evening, as preaching your word, as a vessel of your mercy, to uh, shepherd and preach and teach your sons and your daughters from your word well. Uh, Lord, I pray that when we come to your word, we would see that our right standing with you is fully dependent upon you, Jesus. It is a faith that is accredited to us by a righteousness accredited by faith. Would you help us to see that more clearly today? Lord, would you help us to love you greater today? Would you help us to have greater zeal for you today? Would you help us to have a greater lost and a uh, greater passion and zeal for the lost today? I ask you would reveal that to us as we come to your word. And I ask you to speak through me, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, Jesus Christ, our rock, our redeemer, whom all God's children said. Amen. Okay, so one of the big themes in this letter, obviously, is righteousness. We have looked at this a whole bunch in this letter. This is the Apostle Paul's magnum opus about how us, mankind, our relationship with God has been severely broken, and what can we possibly do to make things right? And the easy answer we see over and over again is Jesus, righteousness, in Christ, what Christ has done for us, it's a beautiful thing. It's the gospel, and yet it's something that so many people stumble over. But this idea of righteousness in this letter is 30 times we see the Apostle Paul use this letter. In our seven verses today, the Apostle Paul is going to say righteousness six times. And yet, not to sound kind of heretical, I'm not going to spend much of our time today speaking on righteousness. I think what we're going to look at and unpack together, it's under the umbrella of righteousness for sure. But there are a few things I want us to see very clearly in our text today, and those are very simple. Um, That there is a right and there is a wrong way to get right with God. Additionally, we'll see that there is a right and there is a wrong zeal, passion one can have for God. And there is a right and a wrong way for us as believers and how we respond to the lost, how we respond to those who are enemies of the gospel, to those who are trusting in something other than Jesus Christ to get them right with God. So I think right and wrong way, it was an appropriate title this weekend. So in context, chapter nine, we have been wrestling with Paul with these questions about predestination and election and God's sovereignty. And he's been making this argument about, well, then how come so many of God's chosen people, Israel, um, how come so many of them have rejected and stumbled over the Messiah, Jesus Christ? And Paul has been answering these questions. It's not because, in chapter 9, because God's word is uh, failed that God has done something wrong, he clearly just can 't keep his people entertained it 's not god 's issue it 's not that God just refuses to give mercy to some people and refuses to g- so we went through all the election and doc- uh, predestination things and but as we see today that there is a willing rejection when it comes to righteousness by faith alone and contextually Paul is speaking to a re- about a religious people, a people who would see the gospel of grace that is free and available for all, but would say, no, it seems too easy, or no, that's offensive because I have so much in my hands already. I've done so much. I've contributed so much. I've got so much church done. So Paul is speaking contextually to about a people who have rejected God's only way to salvation that is in Jesus Christ alone. And I think that's interesting Because 2,000 years later, as we see, it's still a prevalent thought and a belief in our culture today, isn't it? So in a world full of endless amounts of ways that people try to get themselves right with God, there has always been and there always only will be one way. And that answer is Jesus Christ, right? So our first big idea that we're going to look at is there is a right and a wrong way to get right with God. We'll start in Romans chapter 9, verses 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Did I lose that over there? let see what we got here. Yeah, good enough. So verse 30 is a question in Paul's answer. Our only hope to obtain righteousness is by faith. Okay, so that's the right way. The wrong way to get right with God is verse 31. Relying on your own works. That's Paul, he says, that's the glaring problem here with these Israel people we're talking about. A religion of works will not succeed. Now, when you tell a very religious person that their religion is dead wrong, that's pretty offensive, am I right? That's a great way to ruin Thanksgiving, which I'm disappointed y'all didn't try and do this year. (laughs) Telling your religious family that they're wrong. (sighs) So, being told your religion is dead wrong, that's offensive, But if you look at verse 30, if you go back again just for a second, the Apostle Paul is like, well, hold on one second. Here, hold my beer. Watch this. (laughs) The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. So the people who pursued God by keeping the law, they miss him. And the Gentiles who did not pursue God at all, they obtained this righteousness. Do you realize how offensive that is? Think about it. The Jewish people, they knew God. God. We're his people. He rescued and ransomed them. He's delivered us. He's brought us to this place. We have God's word. We have the Torah. We have the first five books. We have the prophets. We got 613 rules to memorize. And the Jewish people are like, you got it. Yes, sir. I wish there were more. We're going to obey every single one of them to show you and God just how much better and how good we are. Paul says that's the wrong way to get right with a holy God. And we've unpacked this in detail in previous sermons, so I'll just say it very briefly. The purpose of the law is not to give somebody a standard. Here's how you become good enough. If you do these things, then you will get the pie in the sky. If you obey and do all these rules, and if you act like this and don't act like that, then God will give you his righteousness. That is not the purpose of the law. The law is like a mirror that just shows us what a mess we are. The law's purpose is to show us we need something greater. We need someone Greater, we need a savior. And that's the problem. They stumble over Jesus. In their attempts to obey the Mosaic law to be right with God, Verse 31 says they actually they, they don't succeed. So why? Why does a religion of my efforts and my work, and I'm just trying to do better, and I'm just trying to endure, and I'm just trying to just improve myself, why is that the wrong way? Because, did I put it up there? No, hold on, save that. (laughs) Because they did not pursue it by faith, right there, but as if it were based on work. So there it is. The wrong way to get yourself right with God is you, your work's good luck. The right way to get right with God is faith, fully trusting in someone better, greater than you. That is what sets Christianity apart from every faith and world religion and spirituality to this day. Religion is man-centered. It's up to you. You're climbing the ladder and you're striving to get to that top. And then when you get up there, there's another dude who's not God who's looking down at you with his arms folded and said, good job, but you still got a whole bunch more to do. Or Christianity is God coming down to us. It's God-centered. It's God saying, you don't have what it takes. So God sends his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, to conquer sin, death, and in the grave, and with arms stretched out on the cross, he says, it's finished for you. That's the right way. That's the only way. So Paul continues, those who have rejected God's only means of, only way of salvation they've stumbled verse 22 they have stumbled over this stumbling stone and so now the apostle Paul in verse 33 what he's doing is he's quoting he's taking two verses from the prophet Isaiah this is from chapter 8 and from chapter 28 and he says this behold this is God speaking To Isaiah, I am laying in Zion, in my place, the place where I've brought my people to dwell. I am laying a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever, but whoever believes in him will, will not be put to shame. So this is an Old Testament prophecy the Apostle Paul clearly understands is pointing to Jesus. And what he's saying is that God is telling us six, 700 years before the Messiah comes into the world that God's people are going to see him and they're going to go, nah, and they're going to stumble over him. We don't want that one. And then 2,000 years later in our world's history, that's exactly what we see. Jesus shows up and they go, no, that's not the king we're looking for. And so they reject and crucify and kill their Messiah. So the cornerstone of their faith, the culmination and the promise of the Messiah, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And now for a moment, what are, what are some reasons? Just think about it. There's plenty of reasons, if you read the Gospels, why the religious folk had a problem with Jesus, why they rejected him. Um, one, obviously, is that Jesus wasn't their, their style, They expected Jesus to be this mighty warrior Messiah King who would uh, tear down Rome and their oppression, and then they would free them from the oppressive Rome, and he didn't do that. He kept talking about how his kingdom is from this other world. They didn't like that. They didn't like the people that Jesus associated with. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors, and he touched the diseased people, and he spoke with sexual sinners, and he helped demon-possessed people. The religious folk were like, we're not about that. Keep that all away from us. Another glaring issue is why they rejected Jesus is because those are the type of people Jesus interacted with and those are the kinds of people that Jesus invited into his world and saved. Paul mentions that here in verse 30, right? Like there's these Gentiles getting saved. That's like saying your greatest enemy now just gets to move in and live in your house and mooch off of you. That's like, I'm just going to show my heart here. That's like back in 1998 after game six where Michael Jordan pushed up Byron Russell. That would be like saying, that's a, that's a Bulls fan probably clapping. So security, could you have them escorted? We'll wait. <laughs> oh, it's Brent. Oh, man, he, he is like security. Hey, Brent, will you escort yourself? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so imagine... After Jordan pushed Byron Russell and then they stole a championship and ruined most of my childhood and some of my trauma today, imagine that summer, Michael Jordan decided to bring his talents to the great Salt Lake City and play for the Utah Jazz. I would not have that. That is not acceptable to me. I would protest. I would glue myself down to the court and we'd be, yeah, it'd be a joke. But we don't even say that guy's name in our house. Like, that's a problem for me. Paul is saying here that God's people, in the same way, they're looking at people that they once despised and rejected and would have nothing to do with. And he's saying they're being ushered into their kingdom and they're being ushered out. That is so offensive, right? It would be like the picture I was showing. It would be like being on, say you were on the high school team and uh, you were you're, you're on your high school team's basketball team, right? You're really good. You practice every day. You do all the drills. You show up to practice. Coach says what to do and you do it. And then one day coach walks in and he says, brings in the whole team. He says, hey guys, um, you're awesome, but I'm going to have to let every one of y'all go. You're cut. I've got a new team. And you go like, huh, okay. I wonder who these guys are. Maybe the NBA all Stars showed up and like took over our team. Why would you cut us? And then you look over and then you see the kids on the court and it's like the, the nerds. It's like the the theater kids, the dance kids. And you're like, wait, that's not, that's not happening at all. They don't even know how to dribble a basketball. They're on the team. They make the team. So in a bad way, that's a little bit like this picture here. For the Jewish person who adheres to all the rules and the religions and the laws and the team practices and the commands to hear that what they've done, what they do is not good enough. And then there's these Gentiles, these nerds, these dorks who don't have the law, have never once given a rip about God's commandments, don't know how to dribble a basketball, and you're just saying they're on the team. They're righteous by faith now. It's just that easy. That is so offensive, right? So that is one reason why people rejected Jesus. But still to this day, people still stumble over Jesus for the same reason, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it destroys religion and zeal and legalism. For those who have been born and raised in religious upbringings and religious duties, the gospel of mercy and grace is incredibly difficult for someone to believe because so much of your life, your upbringing is dependent upon what you do, what you must do. Verse 30 is saying righteousness is by faith alone. It means you contribute nothing. And that is incredibly difficult for a religious person to understand, isn't it? Giving the gospel of grace to a religious person is like handing them a glass of water, and then they pour it out, and they try to assemble a sandwich for you. It's just not going to work. That's what Paul's saying here. So moving on in our text. Notice that we see that the Apostle Paul isn't ignorant to the fact that there are people who are sincerely zealous for God, their religion, their spirituality, but you can be zealous and you can be very wrong. So that's our next big idea. There is a right and a wrong zeal for God. I'm gonna skip over verse one for a moment. We're gonna come back. We're gonna land on that. Uh, So just go with me to verse two, please. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal. They're passionate about God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Paul, a few things. He recognizes they have zeal for God, but it's misplaced he sees, he understands that they're trying to create their own way of becoming righteous before God. And only in Jesus do we find an end to that endless marathon of trying to be good enough. So, Paul, again, contextually, he's speaking, he's talking directly to the religious folks, the ones who are trusting in their own religion and works as the foundation of their righteousness. And Paul is saying, you can have great zeal for God and yet still stumble over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know who knew that better than anybody? Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, when it came to being religious Man, this guy was the goat, right? He was just no one better. Listen, listen to his testimony. This is what he says in Philippians 3. I got it up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. First 4. Though I myself, this is not like boasting. He's getting to know me. Like, hey, tell me about yourself, Paul. Oh, okay. First day. Here we go. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, too much information. I just met you. <laughs> Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He had a zeal for God to kill Christians so you could be passionate about God and get it wrong. As to righteousness under the law, what he's been saying in 9, getting yourself right with God according to you, anybody better than me, I was blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Amen. Wow. So when it comes to having wrong zeal for God, Paul goes, I know all about that life. I get wrongly placed zeal. That was me. You guys know. You remember my former. Life. And I think that's so good for us to keep that in focus when we read through the letter of Romans, because this book is so rich and deep and meaty and chunky on doctrine and theology. And it's awesome, but it's equally full of passion and desire and a heart for the lost. So we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of the Apostle Paul's heart here, even in the rich, deep, weighty theological smugness that it can sometimes produce in Christians to our shame. But Paul gets here. He knows what it's like to be confronted with the gospel and how offensive it is. He knew firsthand what stumbling over Jesus, the cornerstone, looks like, didn't he? So he's saying, I get their zeal. I understand how they, you might feel. I know how offensive this is. He goes, I get the zeal. You know God. You have Torah memorized. You've got 613 commandments. You the mitzvah. I know you don't touch pork, not even with a spork. I know you have your family genealogy backed all the way to Abraham. I know because that was me too. He says, if your zeal for God Here's the thing, that if your zeal for God doesn't actually bring you to Jesus, it's the wrong zeal. It's misplaced. And scripture, and I love this, that scripture and Paul himself never tried to cover up Paul's BC, who I was. Listen to some of these other verses in Acts 22. Paul saying, I was zealous. There's that zeal. I was zealous for God, like you all are to this day. I persecuted this way, that's Christians, to the death, binding and delivering to prison men and women. Galatians 1, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You know the story of Stephen getting murdered in Acts chapter 7. Paul's there holding coats. 1 Timothy, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, opponent, So Paul is not ignorant to what he's saying. He can very much relate to this. This was his experience and these people that he's mentioning, he's deeply, relationally, emotionally connected to them. He has a heart for them. He loves them. He's talking about people that he once did life with and he says, I bear witness. I understand their passion and their zeal for God, but it's not according to truth. That means it's not according to Jesus, knowledge, truth. If your zeal for God does not point you to Jesus, you're stumbled. They do all the religious things, but they don't see it's blinded them. They are sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. Christian, do you see how prevalent these verses are for us even today? This culture that we live in here in the great Salt Lake City, Utah? We live and we do life with people we love, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers who have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. People who we love, who live religious lives, dressing up, doing church, studying scripture, tithing, enduring till the end, working and striving. And in the process, they completely miss the Lord Jesus Christ, all the stuff they do with zeal, but not according to knowledge. If it doesn't point you to Jesus and him alone, you've stumbled. A zeal for God will bring you to Jesus, but it demands you drop everything. You get everything out of your pockets, and you drop it, and you just cling to Jesus Christ alone. And this is what causes so many still today to miss the gospel. It's still a stumbling block. And so they reject it, and they continue to do it their own way. And they say, yeah, well, Jesus is great, but also there's all, there's all of this. It's like, oh, that's the problem. That's what Paul's saying. That's the problem. You're seeking to establish a righteousness of your own, verse 33, but they, 33, but they did not submit to God's righteousness. God says, I accept one payment, One. And it's my son. Any other payment you try to bring to me is so offensive. It'll be declined. It'd be like trying to spend a gift card to one store at another store. This is a bad illustration again, but hey, you you get what you pay for. (laughs) You guys know there's a, there's the Café Rio over here on 123rd, right off the freeway. You guys know the Café Rio I'm talking about? It's, it's right in front of that world's dumbest intersection on the planet. Like, like, I can't wait for the Lord to come back and throw Satan and that intersection into the Lake of Fire. But you guys, you guys know the Café Rio I'm talking about. Did you know before that was a Café Rio? Did you guys know what that used to be? It was a Carl's Jr. It's so, all right. Bear with me. Say I walk into this Cafe Rio, and I wait in the line, and I say, one chicken burrito, please, extra chicken. And they go, well, that'll be 17 more dollars. I'm like, yeah, try. yeah, I know. You guys are overpriced. And they give you the one little extra sliver, $17. And you're like, it's all, yeah, it's a, no problem. I have this Carl's Jr. gift card. What's the problem? This ain't a Carl's Jr. anymore. They're going go, I'm sorry, sir. We actually don't accept that payment. And I'm going to kick and moan, I'm going to huff and puff, and be like, why not? I've earned this. There's there's money on this thing. There's like 30 bucks on this thing. I can afford half this burrito. What do you mean? (laughs) And they're going to go, well, sir, because this isn't a Carl's Jr. anymore. This is Cafe Rio. Another bad analogy, but a person who thinks what they've got in their hands, their religious rules and practices that they follow— is what will make them right with God, is like trying to use your Carl's Jr. gift card at Cafe Rio. The payment won't work. You need a different payment. The only acceptable payment to God is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The old religious system, any new religious system will not work. True zeal for God will only, if it's true, bring you to the feet of Jesus. That's the only place a true zeal for God will bring you. Nowhere else. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is who brings us to God. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So if your religion, if your spirituality, if your crystals, if you're driving and striving to do better by yourself anything other than Christ, if your religion points you to a prophet or a priest or a self-help motivator, if it persuades you to perform better and improve yourself, obtain your own self-righteousness, you will have turned down a dead end. It's the wrong zeal. Christ is the end of the law, meaning everyone must go through him and to him alone for your righteousness. That's it. So now as we wrap up, not really, I shouldn't say wrap up. (laughs) You ain't going anywhere yet. (laughs) So there's a right way and there's a wrong way to get right with God. We live in a world full of people looking for love in all the wrong places. People with zeal for God its in the wrong places. So How then shall we treat those whose zeal for God is wrong? That's so offensive to say, huh? How do we react? How do we respond to those who willingly or unwillingly are being led astray and deceived by religion of works? What about those who just straight up oppose the gospel, who reject it, who stumble over the cross of Jesus Christ? Our answer is in verse one. And I skipped over it for this reason. And I believe this is our application today. In the middle of all of this heavyweight champion of the world doctrine and theology, listen to Paul, verse 1. My heart, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So there is a right and there's a wrong way to respond to the lost. That is obviously the right way. Amen? And we get this incredible glimpse of Paul here, a man who was once hostile to anyone who wasn't a part of his people, his sect, his religion, his tribe. And he's sharing the gospel with everybody. His heart's desire is for the God to save the lost. And we need God's help to make that true of our hearts as well. As well. If you listen to Paul, if you have your Bibles, just roll up to chapter 9, just really quickly go back again to verse Just listen to what Paul says in verse two. I'll read it for you. I have great sorrow and unceasing, great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What do you have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in your heart for today? Your fantasy football team? Paul goes, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul's talking about his, Jewish brothers, his friends, his, his loved ones, his own flesh and blood, kinsmen, right? Like possibly literally his relatives. And he has a heart for them. His heart breaks for them. He's not just, Romans is not the Apostle Paul just spouting off br- brutal doctrine to jerks online that he's never met before on Twitter. He knows these people. He's deeply invested in these people and his heart breaks for them. So he says, do you know why I pray for them? Do you know why I preach to them? You know why I would die for them? Because I was just like them. I was blind. I was deceived. I was so zealous and proud and haughty. And God should have crushed me, but yet in his sweet mercy, he rescued me. And so Paul sees. He has a new set of lens. He sees people now through the lens of Christ. I so badly want them to see. I so badly, my heart's desire is that, God, you would save them. God, save them. Beloved, that is the right way for us to respond to the lost world and our friends, our family. I believe a heart that breaks for the lost is a sure evidence of a person who has true zeal for God, right? Like, if you think for just a moment of what God has saved you from and who he has saved you to to be with forever... It is impossible. It is impossible to see people around you the same way ever again. You just see sheep lost without a shepherd, the lost and the blind being led astray, beaten and battered and broken and desperate, need of a savior everywhere from the irreligious and the atheist to the religious and the Muslim and our right response is a heart that should pray and desires for God to save them and a heart that says, God, use me. And then there's the wrong way. When we see the unbelieving world as they're just our enemies. They hold a different faith. They're atheism, right? Maybe it's someone they've offended you and hurt you. Maybe it's a Christian brother or sister. And your heart just goes cold towards that. You're just like, huh, screw those guys. Be gone with them. Canceled, unfriended, uninvited, unwelcome, Let the gossip and let the slander commence. That is the evidence of a hard heart that has gone cold not just towards the lost, right, people made in the image of God, but a heart that has gone cold towards Jesus Christ himself. I'll be honest, when it comes to, like contextually here, like religious folks, self-righteous religious people, my heart gets so cold, so quick, growing up here in Salt Lake, I've always been the black sheep, the only kid you couldn't talk to in your class, and the only kid in the neighborhood you couldn't play with, the only kid that didn't go to church. So I've got bad tastes in my mouth when it comes to religious folk, which is hilarious if you would have met 13-year-old Briberi and told him he was going to be a Bible preacher one day. (laughs) That's funny. But there's this pride and there's this sin, there's this wickedness in me to this day. God has to crush. Like, I'm going to be totally transparent. If you were like, hey, Brian, Pastor B, I want you to go and you need to go share the gospel. (laughs) Ah, There it is. I want you to go and share the gospel with this super cute, tight, uptight religious family. Or you can go share the gospel with the biker gang slinging drugs. (laughs) I'm going with the biker gang. (laughs) I like my chances with them, right? Give me the addict, give me the abused, give me the demon-possessed. Just don't give me the uptight religious guy. I like my chances with the guy who might try and shank me than I do the religious person when I try to bring up anything to them about faith or Jesus, and they just, they take one look at me and they just shut off. I like my chances with the heathen that Paul mentions in Romans 1. Give me all them. You give Pastor Josh the religious folks in chapter (laughs) 2 and chapter 3. So God has to help me here. He really has to help me here. Because the religious and the irreligious both desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that convicts me. Who do I think I am? I become the people that Paul says God condemns the moment I start treating people that way. Do you see how hypocritical that is of your pastor? Who do I think I am? Who do I think I'm better than? I hope that cuts you. I hope that cuts you good. Who do you look down at when it comes to who you will bring into your world, who you will invite into your life, who you will share the gospel with? That's the wrong way to respond to the lost. You know, 100% of the people, 100% of the people that you hate online, 100% of the people, the religious people that drive you up the wall, 100% of the atheists that bug you, They are all 100% made in the image of God. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We have such a great opportunity to learn from the Apostle Paul here. God, give us a heart for the lost, the religious, the irreligious, the biker gang, the CrossFitters, the vegans, (laughs) Any, any of them. God, just use me. Just, I want to be like Paul, right? Like, that God would give us hearts like Paul, that we wouldn't just plop ourselves up upon pedestals of superiority, but the Lord would actually break our hearts, literally break our hearts for the lost. Do you share Paul's burden for the lost? It's Jesus' heart for the lost, really, right? You see Jesus in Matthew 9, I think, Matthew 9, when he says he looks at the crowd and he's, he's moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're just lost, We would be good to remember, too, that like Paul says in Romans 5, that we, too, were once off, far off from the Lord, weren't we? We were once enemies with God, and Christ died for us at our worst. So a little practical challenge for you, and then we'll wrap up, I promise. It seems so silly to say this, but let's be real. Are we doing it? Will you pray for the salvation of the lost? Would you pray that the people in your world, God, would just... Do what only God can do and save them? Do you love them? You think a moment about an eternity separated from God. Do you love them enough to go, God, I don't want that for them. Would you save them? I love this thought from C.S. Lewis. This is a challenge I give us tonight. He says this, I have two lists of names in my prayers. Those for whose conversion I pray and those for whose conversion I give thanks. Thanks. The little trickle of transferences from list A to list B is a great comfort. I love that. I think that's great. I would challenge you. Let's, what if we all made a list today? You got a little handout today. You could fill out the back of it. You could write down some names right now. I'm sure if you got a heart, you could fill this up pretty quickly. A people that you know do not know the Lord. They may have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And you just start praying for that list of people, right? Maybe you get a buddy, you would get your kids involved with this, you pray for these people, you get a buddy and you're texting them. Hey, here's my list of buddies. I really want to see you know the Lord. Will you pray for them? Will you pray God would save them? I get a text set going like, what what if our heart, what if my heart, what if your heart, unceasing desire and prayer was that God would save, that we would pray faithfully for God to take those in our list A and move them into a new list B. I know I was on many people's A-list for years. It's, it's kind of crazy. As we were driving to church, here's one right here. This is Pastor Billy's, uh, his journal from 2006. I don't know if you noticed down there at the bottom. He goes, Brian Clifton and I went to McDonald's and talked about God. 2006, Pastor Billy sent that to me today. I was on somebody's list, many others, but I know Billy was praying for me. He used to call me when I was still on tour doing the whole death metal thing, going like, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. I'm like That's so weird, man. <laughs> You're such a weirdo, Billy. How many of us can attest to that? You're the fruit of someone who loved you and prayed unceasingly for you. Their heart broke thinking about you not knowing Jesus. So that's my challenge. Make a list of A's and ask God, please, will you start picking these people off and bring them over to list B so I can praise you? Physical challenge, triple dog dare. And we start actually praying, actually praying. and Then we start asking, will you then get up and move from your prayer, posture of prayer, and you move and you become the hands and feet of Jesus with your life? We talked about zeal today. People have zeal for God. We have zeal for so many things, right? We have people over on Sundays to scream at our football teams, We get together and we dress up to go check out new restaurants and dine out. We get together on Friday nights to watch The Bachelor and The the Bachelorette. We're so zealous for so many things. What if we had the same zeal to invite people into our Christian world? Hey, did you come to small group with me on Wednesday? Sounds weird, huh? I know. It's better than not hanging out with me. (laughs) Hey, why don't you come to church with me this weekend? The pastor's face this weekend is very punchable. come to dinner. Me and 70 of my friends are going to dinner after church tonight. You should come hang out with us, right? Like we have opportunities, three opportunities. Christmas is coming up. We have that Christmas series. You have three opportunities every week, every week in here. You have three opportunities to invite loved ones to come to church. The Christmas series is a great opportunity. You've got friends who are just dying for you to invite them to come to church with you. They want to know how creepy and weird it is. Let them come experience the worship. See your brothers and sisters proclaiming Christ's excellencies and hearing the gospel of Christ preached from the pulpit. It could change their life. I'm the fruit of that. So, get you out of here. Um, the Bible unapologetically testifies that the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The world has hope. The world has hope. Look at it. That's hard to believe. There's only hope one hope of the world, and it's Jesus Christ, and they can have him. We've received him. We believe Jesus Christ is the only way to get right with the Holy God, and he is also a stumbling stone that every person will trip over if they reject and they refuse his blood and his work and his finished, completed work on the cross, For that person who rejects Jesus, he has become their stumbling stone. They will be put to shame. They will be cast out from the Lord for an eternity. Our hearts should break. We should hear that and our hearts should just break. But there is a way to get right with this God, Jesus Christ. He is the rock that you can place your entire life and trust and hope upon and you will just have eternal life and rest. My friend, may it be found true in your heart today that you confess and you believe fully and completely that Jesus Christ is enough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is so good for us. Lord, for those who know you, we confess you are our only hope. In this life and in the next, it's just you, Jesus. You are the rock of our salvation. So, God, I pray that we'd have zeal. <clears throat> we'd have zeal that brings us to your Son, Jesus Christ. You give us a zeal, you give us a passion. Our hearts would break for the lost people we love, people we cherish, people we, God, our desires, you would save them. Lord, I pray for the lost. I pray for the people in my world that I love and they are so far from you. Would you do what only you do? Would you awaken their hearts? Would you turn them from a life of ruin and you'd bring them to yourself, to your feet, Jesus Christ? I pray you would do that. That is what we believe, Jesus. That is who you are. And Lord, we respond for those of us who believe. Thank you, Jesus, that whoever believes in you will never be put to shame. That is so beautiful. Lord, for those of us who believe there is not one moment of our life that is wasted or useless, we will never be put to shame. We are not ashamed of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that's true for us. So our response, God, is help us love you better. Help us love the lost. We need your help to do that. And it's in your name we pray, amen.